David in the Psalms said, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time we have now to open up your word and to hear what you have to say to us. Please open my lips, please help my mouth to declare your praise, and please open all of our hearts to what you have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever laid awake at night with your mind racing with anxiety and worry? Perhaps about your, your health, your finances, your family? Have you ever had that physical or visceral ache in your heart because of a broken relationship? Do you know that crushing feeling of loss and emptiness and drift when you grieve the death of someone you love? Have you ever felt a panic rising in your stomach, a knot in your stomach, uh, when circumstances around you start to spiral and things just start collapsing all, all over the place? Do you know that acute sensation of stress in your work or just in life because in a multiple place that you're spinning all the time um, or because of some unresolved conflict with someone? You can't seem to settle your, your racing heart and you find it impossible to switch off. Have you ever been pushed so much that you're very close to sort of snapping or having a mental breakdown? Or do you simply just know what it's like to be afraid because you feel out of control of your life? Now I have no doubt in a room this size uh, that many people will be able to say yes uh, to some of those scenarios, perhaps not even all of them. Well, if that is you, well, you're going to see this morning that in these uh, two chapters of Genesis, chapter 42 and 43, these feelings are not new. They have been felt intensely by the characters in these pages. Now you may hear, have heard people say, or hear people say, and I certainly have, that the Bible is irrelevant in the 21st century. That humans have progressed beyond their need of God. The problem is that humanity may well have advanced in technology, um, but it is still plagued by all the same problems we see in this ancient book of Genesis. We see throughout its pages men and women's jealousy, we see their rage, we see murder, war, injustice, hate, racism, violence against women, broken families, broken relationships, and strife. You only need to spend five minutes in the headlines today in the news to see these ancient sins are still very much with us today. And so the Bible, far from being irrelevant, is the most contemporary book ever composed because it perfectly describes the human condition. The Bible tells us why the world is the way it is at this very moment. But it doesn't just leave us there. It provides real hope and it shows us the only way to soul-satisfying happiness and peace. And in these two chapters of Genesis we'll look at this morning, we see some very real people pushed to the very limits of their emotional and mental capacity and how God works through all circumstances of life without us having a foggiest idea what's going on. So just to help us and place us in the context where we are, I'm just going to run through 
uh, a summary of that narrative we just had read to us. So if you remember from last week, if you were here, we're end of chapter 41, uh, verse 56 to 57, we're in a desperate time in the land. It's a, a time of massive famine. Uh, there's been no food or a lack of food for, for seven years or in the middle of seven-year famine. So in verse 1, and three, 1 to 3 of this chapter, 42, Jacob sends 10 of his 11 sons to Egypt to buy grain. He doesn't send Benjamin, his youngest son, uh, and second son of uh, Rachel, his late wife, the love of his life. Um, he doesn't send Benjamin this time. Then you have verse 6 to verse 17. The brothers arrive in Egypt and they have their first interaction with Joseph, their brother. Um, they don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. Uh, and on the surface, that goes really quite badly for the brothers. Joseph accuses them of being spies and he puts them into custody for three days. Joseph, however, does have a plan. You see in verse 20, he says to them, right, you can, you're out of custody, you can go home, take the grain, um, but to prove that you're not spies and to prove you're honest, come back again and bring your younger brother, Benjamin, with you. So at that point, they start to panic and realize what's happening. Verse 21 to 22, they start recognizing and owning their sin against Joseph, their little brother. And they talk to each other about it in Hebrew, not realizing that Joseph, the apparent Egyptian, can understand what they're saying. Verse 24, this causes Joseph such emotion that he can't hold back the tears and he has to hide himself to go and cry. He then takes Simeon, one of the brothers, and he detains him in custody as a deposit until they come back with Benjamin. So as they're walking back to their lands in Canaan, uh, verse 28, they open one of the sacks of grain up and they see that the silver that should have been used to pay for it is back in the sack and they are terrified by that. They're thinking that we're going to look like dishonest men before, uh, before Joseph now. He's going to think we're spies and it's, it's true, we might look like spies. The silver we should have paid for is back in our sack. They're terrified. So anyway, they arrive home and they explain all of this to Jacob, their father. And in verse 35 to 38, they open each of the sacks and they realize the silver is in all of the sacks. And they're all frightened by this. Um, and then Jacob flatly refuses to, for them to go back with Benjamin to get Simeon, despite Reuben making a really drastic offer in verse 37. We then move into the, uh, chapter 43, and the problem in verse 1 hasn't gone away. There is still is a famine. Jacob sort of kicking the can down the road, hoping it would all go away of its own accord, hasn't worked. And so in verse 2 to 14, Jacob asks him to go back to Egypt again. He doesn't straight away offer to send Benjamin back. He ignores that bit. He needs reminding by Judah, one of the brothers. Um, now Judah uh, offers to take full responsibility for Benjamin and get him safely returned. And that is interesting, because if you remember from the, the first uh, preach we had on this, it was Judah who was the one that suggested selling Joseph, his younger brother, into slavery. And now he's the one taking responsibility. Uh, so they arrive in Egypt, all 11 brothers, and Joseph sees that Benjamin is with them. He uh, invites him to dinner. He says, oh, I'll meet you at noon and we'll have lunch together. They explain to a steward, a servant, about the silver in their sacks and they're reassured that God has put that money back. Um, and then they present their gift to Joseph. They brought a present for Joseph. They present it to Joseph. 
Joseph speaks to Benjamin. He again becomes very emotional. He has to leave to cry. He then comes back. They serve dinner and they sit down and they eat together. And that's where we leave it in these two chapters. It's very much uh, in the narrative a to-be-continued type situation. Now, these are two big chapters, and there's lots that could be said um, in them, but I just wanted to bring out two areas that really struck me as I've been meditating on them. And the first area that should appear on the screen is this. Do not ignore your sin. Do not ignore your sin. Whenever we go on holiday, um, Ali, my wife, takes a couple of novels with her, and they're usually of a similar theme. They're um, uh, sort of whodunit, thriller-type novels about a murder, uh, a bit of mystery. To save me the effort of reading them, she'll often give me a, a summary of the book at the end. And, and a common theme that I've come to notice is that there's been some mysterious death or missing episode uh, several years before, and then you're introduced to an array of different characters uh, at this point in the book. And they're all interesting people, uh, but it's usually the most winsome person in that array of characters, the one you'd least expect, who is actually connected to that terrible crime that's happened. Um, and if you were to have met Joseph's ten brothers at this point in their lives, in the narrative, um, they would no doubt have presented very charming, capable characters. They're family men. Uh, they're looking out for the interests of their wider clan. Uh, they've gone to Egypt to buy grain to feed hungry mouths back at home. An honourable mission undertaken by apparently honourable and honest men. However, just like those novels, the ten brothers who made that journey all had a dark secret, and they've been keeping it strictly between themselves for the last 20 years. No matter how hard they tried, none of them could bury that secret. It still haunted their conscience and it probably featured in their nightmares. And for good reason, they had committed a terrible act. About 20 years earlier, they were so jealous and so hated their younger brother, they had thrown him into a pit in the wilderness, ready to leave him to die a slow and torturous death in the hot sun. Now, the only reason they didn't leave him there was because it just so happened that slave traders were going by at just that moment. And Judah thought, hang on, we can make some money out of Joseph here. So they, they, they sold him into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. Such was their remorselessness and their callousness towards him. But now, no matter how hard they try, they can't drown out those desperate sobs and cries of anguish from their little 17-year-old brother as he floundered in that pit. Those cries still echo in their ears all these years later. Well, how can we know this? Well, interestingly, it's the first thing they seem to think of when they find themselves in a desperate position, when all appears to be going wrong for them. Now, as we saw in the account in the narrative, Joseph accuses them of being spies and he throws them into prison for three days. Now, during that three-day period, uh, they'd have had a lot of time alone with their thoughts, uh, in the darkness and the discomfort of an Egyptian, ancient Egyptian dungeon. They're not exactly known for their comfort. Now, the natural questions that all come to us at times like that, or just at bad times, is why has this happened to me? What have I done to deserve this? Well, for the brothers, they had reached their conclusion. 
I read a bit from verse 21 of chapter 42. They said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Reuben replied, Didn't I tell you not to sin against a boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. The brothers had started to come under the conviction of their sin. And they started to admit to themselves that they had done a terrible wrong. And recognise that God would seek an account from them. And we can see this, if you look at verse 28, after their release and return back to their family, and they open that sack and they see the silver in there, listen to what it says, their hearts sank and they turned to each other trembling and said, what is this that God has done to us? What is this that God has done to us? Now, I'm probably not the only one that knows what it feels like to physically tremble with genuine fear or under high stress. I'm sure many of you do know what that feels like. That, that release of the stress hormones, cortisol and adrenaline into your bloodstream, the rapid, shallow breathing, your heart starts to race, your blood pressure increases, and the blood flow is redirected away from your digestive organs towards your muscles. And it causes you to shake in readiness uh, to respond to a potential life-threatening situation. The brothers, the brothers here in verse 28 are physically trembling, we're told, with fear. And who do they attribute their circumstances to? To God. What is this God has done to us? And they're not wrong to fear God. Several hundred years later, if you know Moses, uh, the character in the Bible, several hundred years later, warns a couple of tribes of Israel in Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, that if they do not keep their word about a matter, that they would be sinning against the Lord. And that if they break their word, Moses says this, you may be sure that your sin will find you out. You may be sure that your sin will find you out. God's word is very clear in its warning to humanity. To each of us here this morning, the way we choose to live, it does matter. Our sin, that is our rejection of God's word and his commandments, our rejection of his son, the Lord Jesus, it does matter. We cannot bury or outrun our sin. It will find us out. Romans 14 tells us that we must all stand before God's judgment and give an account. Paul warns us in Galatians 6, I read some verses, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. The brothers, no doubt, thought they got away with their sin, that terrible crime. They had pleased their flesh by pouring out their hatred and their jealousy upon their brother, 
and they'd spend their ill-gotten gain, that 20 pieces of silver, on themselves. And they covered their tracks. They lied to their father. They lied to the rest of their family. And they lived a lie for 20 years. But now we find them physically trembling in fear in verse 28. It's dawning on them that God cannot be mocked. That he has seen and he knows everything. Sin is not funny. It's not a game to him. And he will call everyone to account in the judgment. Interestingly, without them realising it, Joseph has done his brothers a great kindness by putting them in prison for three days. He has provided them time to come to their senses about what they did him all those years ago. He was giving them time to think and admit to themselves their guilt and acknowledge their sin. And in chapter 42, those two verses, 21 to 22, it reads like it's the first time they've actually openly spoken to each other about what they did when they'd all but murdered their brother. Now it's worth saying at this point that you can probably bring to mind um, people who have lived their entire lives, they've died, without ever being brought to justice for the crimes and the abuses and the evil that they committed during their lifetime. And there are loads of famous examples of that, but some of you may be able to bring to, home, uh, bring to mind some ones that are closer to home. Well, the Bible tells us that God cannot be mocked, that our sin will always find us out. So whether or not a man or a woman stands before a human court to face justice in their lifetime, not one of us can escape the one who is a judge of all the earth, Jesus Christ. Each one of us will stand before Jesus one day and give an account of our lives. All of our sin, all of our lives will be laid there before him. And the just punishment for our sins will either rightly be taken by us for all eternity, or it would have already been taken by Jesus. Our sin would have been laid on him at the cross. We'll be welcomed into everlasting life with him. The question is, am I ready for that day? And are you ready for that day? Are you trusting in Jesus this morning for the forgiveness of your sins? Today, is it well with your soul? Now you may be feeling God's hand on you this morning. You may know the very real and heavy feeling of being under the conviction of sin. You may be a believer who is continually falling in the same way over and over again. Or you may have just blown it in a really big way. You may not be a believer, but you just know that things aren't right in your heart. And like the brothers here in this narrative, you, you may be fearing God, fearing the judgment that is to come. If this is you, do not ignore your sin. Do not ignore your sin. In the book of Proverbs, we're told that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Jesus tells us that he sends his spirit into this world to convict the world of guilt because of sin. It is actually a kindness to be aware of your sin. It is a work of the Holy Spirit, so do not ignore him. Instead, no matter what you have done in your past, 
no matter how much darkness there is in your heart or in your past, come to the Lord Jesus. Come into the light. He will never drive you away, never ever. Jesus came into this world to save those who are broken, to save sinners like me and like you. Believe in and call on the name of the Lord Jesus this morning and be forgiven and washed clean from all of your sins. Call on him while you have time. If this is you, then please feel free to speak to me afterwards or one of your Christian friends that you're with. Do not ignore your sin. And secondly, and more briefly, the second area I want to bring out is do not forget your saviour. Do not forget your saviour. Now, we've had quite a few issues with our car in recent months. Some of you can probably testify to hearing me complain about it. Back in April, a week before we went on a long drive to Wales, um, my, warning engine, my engine warning light came on the dashboard, and I spent my first week of leave desperately trying, going back and forth to the garage to get it fixed. Um, and I thought it was fixed, but then a few weeks ago, a week before a long drive to France, family holiday, again the warning light came on. And I have to admit, I failed to see the funny side of that um, at all. And I sort of half, half jokingly, half seriously, I, I expressed a sentiment, everything is against me. This car, we're never going to get this fixed, we're never going to get on a holiday. But needless to say, that is a trivial example of a life challenge. Frustrating, yes. Stressful, yes. But no real harm caused. Trivial indeed compared to the frustrations and challenges that Jacob and his family faced in these chapters. They got a famine. And we know from 41, chapter 41, this is a devastating seven-year-long Famine. No doubt Jacob and his sons were lying awake at night worrying about how they're going to feed their families. That that alone, I think, is a live issue for many people in our society today. That worry about providing. And as we've explored, they had that calamitous um, first trip to Egypt, which has caused the ten brothers fear, stress and anxiety to the point of trembling And the situation has been nearly devastating for Jacob as well. Just listen in to this family conversation between Jacob and his sons. These are men that are clearly close to their breaking point. It starts in verse 36. Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want me to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Then Reuben said to his father, You may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you and trust him into my care I will bring him back but Jacob said my son will not go down there with you his brother is dead and he is the only one left if harm comes to him on the journey you are you are taking you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow desperate times have you ever said or thought the words Everything is against me, and really meant it. Well, in 36 of this chapter, Jacob really did mean it. But what was happening here that Jacob could not see? What was happening that Jacob could not see? Well, God was at work in the hearts of his sons through this whole mess. His other son, Joseph, was actually alive and well, and in the best position he could possibly be on the planet at that time 
to rescue and provide for his family. And what is it the 11 brothers couldn't see in the midst of all their fear for the future? Well, at the end of chapter 43, we see all 12 brothers reunited as a family around a meal at peace and eating and drinking freely together. But only Joseph knew that. Only Joseph could see it. Jacob and his sons didn't know it, and they couldn't see it. But in the middle of what must have been one of the most desperate times of their lives, they could not have been in safer hands. They could not have been in safer hands. It was going to be more than okay. They were safe. They were going to be provided for. They were in the very presence and command of Joseph, the man that God was using to save his people. Joseph, through God, was their saviour in this instance, where they just couldn't see it yet. And so, church family, I just want to encourage you, or leave you with this encouragement from these two chapters. Remember that in these two chapters, nothing is resolved. It's very much a to-be-continued story. There are still so many unknowns, so many uncertainties, emotions are still very high, It all feels a bit fraught and uh, the future is filled with fear. And that may well very much describe how you're feeling uh, this very day. Your life might be turning out nothing like what you planned for it. You may feel sad, let down, angry, even bitter as you look at those around you whose lives appear so much easier than yours. They're happier, they're more successful on the surface, they're more glamorous, more fun. Like Jacob, you might be echoing those words, everything is against me. But remember that if you are a believer, you cannot always see it and you can't always feel it, but if you are trusting in Jesus, no matter what happens, whatever your current circumstances turn out to be, you could not be in safer hands. You could not be in safer hands. Do not forget your saviour. Jesus is good. He is kind and he is faithful to you. So please know this and rejoice that he is with you and trust in his word, trust in his promises and experience the peace only he can bring. Remember the words that Jesus spoke, that promise he made to his disciples at the end of Matthew's gospel. I read it to you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen.